Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Hello, church. It is so good to see you. Three years. Wow. And Eric wasn't alone, by the way. I also kept saying to people that said, we've got to try this. Well, that won't work. You know, people aren't going to stay with us. And yet it has stayed and grown. Prisoners have been released, um, literally. Lives have been changed. Um, Places that were not churches have become churches. And a whole lot of people who have been hurting and who will never walk into a building again and who need to be alone have found a community that is safe for them to be alone without us putting any burdens on them. It has been an amazing ride. And it it has been a ride. It hasn't been a drive. I've not driven this. We wake up every day and go, what what are you going to do now, God? Because this is quite the interesting ride he's got us all on. And I thank God for all of you that held our arms up so that the battles could continually be won. And those of you that fed us, literally, and that allowed us to have a house. And three years ago, Greg Grant, day one, said, well, you can use this place. And I'd never been here. And I, he said, you can even live at my house. And I said, Greg, I don't want to live in your house. Uh, but that's, I appreciate it. But he insisted that I come over. And then he led me downstairs. This is underground, people. It's solar-powered and underground. Anyway, um, and I kept looking. And my first thought was, this is amazing. Second thought was, who built this? And, and, are, and I'm alone with them in a basement. Um, but it turned out to be something lovely. You will hear the voices of children because children come here too. We don't have a children's program. We don't have a teen program. If you come here, you're just welcome. We put you to work. And it is, uh, it's been a, a great ride. Let's get into something. I, I wrote a, you know, we try to always write something new because some of you have been listening to me for 20, 30 years. Uh, and this is new. It's a new series to bring us to Advent. And we're jumping the gun a bit on Advent. But let's be fair. We're still six weeks behind Walmart and um, <laughs> all of the other shops that are pushing Christmas right now, but in a world, this world needs some Advent. This world needs some Christmas. In a world where wars, protests, riots, financial insecurities, and political divisions not only make the news, but are the news all day long, every day, it's important to remember that we have our eyes on something else. We have our eyes on Jesus. We will look at who he was, who he is, and who he always will be, and that he is not a stranger to any of this. The the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's a title that is given to him, but he also has, if you go through scripture carefully, and I've done this, and if you want us to do this 
in a sermon series in a new year. We'll do it. Every single name given to the Father is also given to the Son. And every single name given to the Father and the Son is also given to the Spirit. And so here we have the Trinity, something we cannot explain in regular physics, but you quantum physics people know that three can be one and one can be three, and something can go through the middle of itself without touching itself, because quantum physics is weird, but it's also true. But it only works with the very small or the very large. You cannot get larger than God. And John 4 that amazing in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with Him. And then we get to meet Him in John. Understand it. But He has been here since the creation. He's who was being addressed in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. When God says let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Who's God talking to? I've heard people say angels. Angels don't create a thing. Who were not made in the image of angels. When you die, you don't become an angel. So who's he talking to? I've even had a few people say he was using the royal we. Now, having some experience with royalty? No. God's not up there going, oh, we are not amused. You know, he's not... That doesn't work in Hebrew and Aramaic. It just doesn't work. He was talking to his son who was given credit for creation. Jesus is given credit for the creation of all things that ever have been. And he is the word and called the word of God. Interesting how we often forget that. We apply that to the Bible, which in some level you can, but the fact is the Bible is trying to point you to the Word of God. That is Jesus. I think Hebrews makes that plainer than any other single book, but if you have another idea, let us know. The second thing you need to understand is this, and and many of you know this, but for others it will be quite the shock. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it was not the first time he'd been here. He's been here many times. And we're going to talk about those over these next few weeks. In fact, God has woven Jesus' story throughout the Old Testament. We're not going to talk about appearances of Christ on earth yet. That'll come in a few weeks. But we're going to talk about a phenomena that you might have noticed. And that is, if you read the Bible, the stories seem very familiar. Now, I'm aware... Many of you are church people, you've heard them many times. It's not what I'm talking about. It's like when you read a scene, you're thinking, but we've seen this scene before. When you see an interaction, you think, There's that, that, that seems familiar from somewhere else. There is something in scripture and in theology called a type. Now, that's a finger quote thing. And I don't like finger quotes, so you on podcasts don't know that I'm doing it. Typed. We need to explain what those are. When you read the Bible, you'll see that around the law, the poetry, and the list are lots of stories. And if you read it enough, the stories begin to blend. And you might even think, well, I shouldn't attribute this to that. I should, I should try to separate. No. The same story is being told again and again and again. In the book of Revelation, it's very obvious Because you'll have seven bowls, seven seals, seven trumpets. And it's telling the whole story three different times, three different ways. 
But that's a compact. The rest of the Bible, it's telling the same story. Some of them are foretelling a story. Some of them are telling a story. Hear this, because you really need to hear this. The Bible is not a book of many different stories. It's a book of many stories that tell one story. In fact, yeah, I'm aware. It's a collection of ancient stories that have come from a very wide variety of cultures and times, and you've got to put everything in context. I get all that. In fact, I insist upon that. And yet, in Luke 24, two men were walking away from Jerusalem, downcast, broken, like many of you have been or feel today. You feel as if Jesus' advent has not been to you, that his personal coming has not been to you. They felt it was a failure. They put their, their lives on the line, not their money, their entire lives and fortunes on the line, only to end at a torturous cross, and then we walk away. But in Luke 24, a stranger joins them on the road. We know it's the risen Christ because we get to read about this. In fact, it is generally thought that Luke was one of the men on the road to Emmaus. The phrasing indicates that he most likely was. And as Jesus walks with them and they don't recognize him, he says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, all the prophets, he explained them to them that what was said in the scripture concerned himself. Well, you can look verses later, um, near the end, whenever the disciples are now reporting to the apostles, which, you know, the apostles are supposed to be the high ones, right? They're, they're the select. And then you have the disciples, which just mean followers. Now the disciples are trying to tell the apostles, come on, believe this. We've all experienced this. We've all been in churches where the church leaders were, the, were really more anchors. And when the church is ready to move, the leaders are going, oh, no, don't know about this. Uh, so here they're trying to push him. And what did they say? He, they reported, he said to us, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All stories were ultimately about him. And all these smaller stories are telling one greater story. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that story. And one of the things we vowed day one and we have kept to is that we will focus on Jesus here. We will not focus on denominations. We will not focus on politics. We will not focus on personalities. And whenever we say something we're not certain of, we're going to say, I am not certain of this. We will be open about our doubts. We'll be open about our fears. But we will also be centered on Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Jesus. Upon that, we agree, and we've also said from day one, if you don't agree with that, you are still welcome here, and you will be treated with respect here. You will never be made fun of for your issues with faith here. We all have issues with faith. As one man looked at Jesus and said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I think that's all of our prayers, is it not? I, I have met a couple who said they never had a doubt, and I don't really believe they were lying people. Maybe they weren't paying attention, or maybe they just had that gift, and I thank God for them. Well, some of the stories 
archetypes. And that means the lives of the characters foreshadow the life and the message of Jesus. One of the easiest ones. We're going to start with one of the easiest ones. The story of Moses and Jesus. And this may explain a strange interaction between Jesus and the apostles. Do you remember this one? It's in Matthew. And Matthew's the one where you go to for Moses and Jesus, by the way. Jesus says, who are people saying that I am? Do you remember that passage? And they come up with Moses, Elijah, one of the other prophets, maybe John the Baptist, come back. Now, when I was a boy, I was thinking, why would you think that? They're dead. They're gone. Why, why wouldn't you say son of God or a great rabbi or <clears throat> our hope or something like this? And eventually, yes, Peter gets there. But why would they go with that at first? Because they look at Jesus and they see the Moses story. They look at Jesus, they also see the Joseph story and a lot of others that we're going to look at. Just Moses today. Matthew in particular focuses on the parallels between Moses and Jesus. That's what he's pushing. Because they, the, his audience is the Jews of the day. And the Jews of the day were still struggling. Many of them had never met Jesus, had the opportunity to listen to him. So they needed the story rolled out to show this is the one that was promised. And he, like Moses, will lead us. But I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. I do that sometimes. Get excited. I told Holly, do this every now and then, you know, or tap your foot because I don't do rhythm. Well, that's not a lie. I do four or five per song, and most people want one. So, uh, and she is super easy to work with, so that, that's good. That's good. Anyway, when we talk, talk about a type, we don't mean the kind of. It's a theological term, which means a life that is a foreshadowing and foretelling of the life of Christ. So, we're going to do a lot of flipping back and forth here. Um, At the soundstage, we're celebrating after this anyway, so most people won't be taken off. Um, They'll be hanging about for a while, so I can go as long as I want to. No. (laughs) You might hear a lot of noise as they flee, But um, anyway, Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Now that, this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 18 has always fascinated me. Deuteronomy does, by the way. Uh, The city's a refuge. Great idea. We don't know that they are ever put into practice. Um, the same with Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, we, we never find a record of it being done. Great idea. And I wonder why it wasn't done. But chapter 18, Moses is looking at them. He is the lawgiver. He is the one who's led them. He is, and he's saying, God's going to raise another one of me among you. You have to listen to him. He even talks about, he will bring another covenant, but it's a better covenant than the one you've just received. Imagine what that would be like, because if you've ever watched Jewish worship, which you ought to, I, I went to synagogue frequently as a boy. My dad taught Hebrew in a couple of schools, uh, and it was, I don't know how long he did it, it was only a period of a few years, but when I was a wee boy, we'd go to synagogue on Friday nights, and we would sit there and read to us backwards 
but he had taught me enough Hebrew that I could go with it and know how to go with it. I don't know as much now, but go with it. And some of the people would even lean over and say, you can read this? And we, I, I thought, well, aren't you supposed to? You know, um, you know and anyway, but if you go to worship, um, you will see them raise the Torah, the scrolls. It's really, this is, it's hugely important. We're going to talk about the Torah in the new year, by the way. I'm excited about writing some of that. And asking a, a friend of mine named Bobby Valentine, I haven't even asked him yet, somebody's going to tag him on this. Can I use some of your stuff? Because man, that guy's a thinker. Anyway, uh, now look, what you know here, when him, him saying, you got this, you got this big law, a better one's coming. A better one than Yahweh gave us from the Mount Sinai? What are you talking about? And by the way, that wouldn't have all been inside. They would have said things like that outside. Uh, Jewish worship was far more interactive, and I really appreciate watching it and seeing it. Um, not on the synagogue on a, uh, on a uh, Friday night, but in other times they are. Acts chapter 3, verses 20 through 23. Talking about repenting to them, that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time come for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. See the connection? Oh, but there, here we go. Moses was born in a time when the leader of the nation was hunting down male children to kill them. Jesus was born and Herod sent soldiers into Bethlehem to kill the male children. Moses was laid in a straw-thatched basket and floated down the river later to be picked up by Egyptian royalty. Jesus was laid in a simple manger and later visited by the royalty of the time, the wise men from the east. Well, what we're going to do here is we're going to bounce around some as we go through this from this verse to that verse. The reason we're doing that is because there is a chapter, and I'm kind of giving away the game here. There's a chapter in Acts which lays out the life of Moses and shows the parallels. Doesn't exactly do what we're doing today, but Stephen's uh, sermon before the Sanhedrin, the one that got him killed, was the life of Moses and how they would have killed Moses had he come to them. He knows because they killed Christ. They looked upon Jesus as the promised one of Moses, the new Moses. Better than Moses 2.0 because he is actually anointed. But here we go. Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. And I'm, I'm actually turning this in a Bible like an old person. I've even written a check this week. Um, <clears throat> Watch me on History Channel, um, if they can get away from aliens and Nazis. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40. The child grew up, you know this, became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Well, you ever read Acts chapter 7? In Acts chapter 7, and verse 22, he says, Moses was raised in stature, and he was respected by all around him. The parallels will continue. Both Jesus and Moses spoke with power and authority. 
Uh, do you remember, in fact, when Jesus spoke, one of the things people said was, wait a minute, he speaks with authority. We've not heard the scribes and Pharisees preach like this. Yeah, get used to it. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action, which is amazing because if you remember, one of the objections Moses had to God's idea of going back and freeing the slaves was he wasn't good at talking. So God gave him somebody to talk for him, but evidently he got used to it because he spoke with power and he was powerful in speech and action. Jesus was noted as he speaks with authority, not like the other teachers. And then that's in also in, in John chapter 7 and verse um, 46. Moses brought us the Ten Commandments. By the way, you've seen all the pictures. Um, <laughs> you know, they didn't have a painter. They didn't have a, a court artist to make a picture as he came down. The Jews, uh, to this day, their rule is that you don't make, uh, if you're Orthodox, you don't do any art that's a representation of a living or any human or living being, the Muslims have the same. That's why when you walk into a mosque, they're super elaborate, but you will not see birds and people. It's mainly for them, uh, verses out of the Quran or sayings from the Hadith. In Hebrew uh, synagogues and such, they keep it very, very much simpler so that there are no, nothing that could look up, be looked upon as an idol or the like. But when he came down carrying the tablets, he would have had not 10 but a lot more laws. There are over 600 laws in the Old Testament. Now, if he had all of those on the way down or not is a debate. I don't really care. The fact is, he brought more than 10 commandments. But what did Jesus do in his first sermon? He said, you've heard it said. And he'd name a commandment and say, now I say to you, he reinterpreted the 10 commandments. Oh, it goes on. This one's a little... Uh, not a biggie, but the Israelites experienced over 300 years of captivity. That's a biggie. What I mean is the connection. And there was about 400 years, 300 plus years of silence between the last prophet and the birth of Christ. And so once again, you get these parallels. Both Jesus and Moses became angry when they saw blatant sin. Jesus did not lose his temper. When he cleared the temple, we all know the story. I do believe if you're not a uh, a Bible or a church person, Jesus saw them robbing the pilgrims. They would, to, to get a sacrifice to the temple from wherever you lived was a, a tenuous and hard thing because as soon as it's injured, then you can't use it as a sacrifice. And so they had people helpfully around the temple selling replacement sacrifices for inflated prices. Even birds. Now, birds were sacrifices for the people that were the very, very, very poor. Interesting. When the first time we see Joseph and Mary going to the temple, they sacrificed birds. But a couple of years later, they get the visit from the wise men. Wise men did not come to the manger. Sorry. So, but you don't have to adjust the creche. Put them out there. It's all right. They got there eventually. You know, I, I don't drive around going, that's not biblically accurate. I don't do that. I, I, I like, Chris, I put them in there. Um, I have seen, however, Baby Yoda and some others that I'm going, we're really pushing it. Uh, I, I think we need to pull back a bit. But Jesus 
saw this and he saw the money changers. Now, if you've ever been from country to country, you know that there are places you can change your money and you lose a lot of your money. Well, they were doing that. And then the birds, they were selling to the poor people for inflated prices. Jesus saw they were getting in the way between the people and God and taking advantage of the people. And sadly, religion has done a lot of that for 2,000 years since. Say, so you want to get to Jesus? We got a bargain for you. Here's your statement of faith you got to sign. Here are all the obligations through the week. Here's what we're going to do with your finances. And it's, just, it's shocking. It made Jesus so angry that he made a whip. So this isn't a guy losing his temper. This is a guy having a lot of temper. Temper means ability to bend without breaking. He adjusted, made a whip. He didn't hit people. There's nothing in there that indicates he hit people. He drove out the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers. But he told the people with the birds, get your birds and take them out. What's the difference? You can always get your cattle. You can always pick up your money. But if he overthrew the bird cages, they couldn't get the birds back. He didn't take anybody's health, life, or property. He was controlled. But he got angry. Early in his ministry, he didn't even know his ministry yet. Moses killed a fellow, um, a fellow royal member, I guess, or employee, one of the slave drivers. Moses was royalty, if you remember. Uh, and by the way, I know what the movie was. I watched it too. But Moses always knew he was a Jew. His mother and sister were involved in his life. So it wasn't like, what? He, he knew. But he also knew he had power and position. When he saw a slave driver beating a Jew, he killed him. Uh, he leapt in there. It just said, struck him and a man died. So either he, it seems that Moses was actually pretty tough. It really does, because later he's on the run. He's going to be at a well, and a bunch of Arab tribesmen ride up to harass some women, and he on his own takes them on and drives them off. And that's when one of the young women said, I'd like to introduce you to my father, please. And uh, <laughs> she did, and he got married, and, and that's the way that worked. Uh, same way I met Cammy. It's just uncanny. Anyway. <laughs> I have a thing. In a movie or whatever, I'll turn to the boys and say, that's how I met Sugar. And now they don't even respond. They'll just... <laughs> but they both became angry when it was right to be angry. In John 1, 1, I'm sorry, John 1, 11, John says, Jesus came into his own, but his own rejected him. Same thing happened to Moses. Later on, when he's trying to get the Jews to gather together, one of them goes, yeah, listen, I saw you kill that guy. We could tell on you. His own brethren weren't going to accept him. And so that's why he ran from Egypt. So both were rejected. Moses is royalty in Egypt, but he left his position of power. He served his family, and then he served his people. Do you see the parallel? Jesus was royalty in heaven, came down, served his family, then served all people. It's, um, it's amazing, but we're not done. Jesus called for us to be peacemakers. And in 2 Corinthians 5, which is criminally unpreached, I've, I've heard some sermons on it, but 2 Corinthians 5, you can live in there for several months. You really can. And still be blown away by what God is telling us in that incredible chapter. We, he is, uh, Jesus is referred to as a reconciler and that his work is reconciliation. 
and that our work, we are ambassadors of Christ and ministers of reconciliation. Bring the people together, which is the exact opposite of what social media does. So be careful the way we use social media, Christians. Our job is to bring them together. You don't have to approve of lies. You don't have to approve of anything. Just merely be gentle and be the person that people run to, not from. How's that? I think we can pull that off. Moses tried to reconcile two fellow Jews that were fighting, Acts chapter 7, 26, but was rejected. We know very, very little about the early life of either Jesus or Moses. Both had seasons of preparation. When Jesus was baptized, he was sent out into the wilderness for how long, church? Do you remember? 40 days. When Moses was commissioned into Egypt and he led the people out, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you see the parallels? And I'm not doing all of them. You can read Matthew and Luke 7 yourself and start bouncing back and forth. By the way, Luke, the the book of Luke covers a lot of this as well. Because the book of Acts, if you don't know that, the book of Acts is Luke's second book. They're meant to be read together. Uh, It's one history. Uh, Both Jesus and Moses set people free. And that's an obvious one, but it is actually spoken of in the Psalms frequently that Moses set us free and someone's coming that'll set us free. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy when Moses said, I brought you out of captivity. He will bring you into freedom and a better covenant than we have today. It is, it's just amazing. Uh, Yet once again, after bringing people into freedom, they were often rejected. Um, I'm going to just give you, in John chapter 4, I love John chapter 4 anyway with Peter. (laughs) I like Peter. Peter doesn't have an inside voice. I don't know anybody like that. Stop. Stop it. I don't know anyone like that. Even this morning I said something. And Kirsten said, are you aware that was out loud? (laughs) No. Acts 4 and verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then we go to Acts chapter 7. And... Um, Stephen's sermon, verse 35, let's see, this is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. I'm going to skip down to verse 39, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Often wonder how many times in our hearts we turn back to Jesus. We could also have compared 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10 with this same passage because these, these all lead the same way. Moses, um, they came up across the river Jordan and there they need to go in and spy out the land. And so he chose 12 spies. You see where a parallel is coming? Jesus begins his ministry, 12 apostles. Moses pled for God to send food to his people through a miraculous way, and God did. Jesus fed the people who came to him in a miraculous way more than once. If you've been listening to our Wednesday nights with uh, Dr. Hunter and myself, I'm just learning to love him more and more every time we meet. Um, If you watch us over the next few weeks, we get to this story of the feeding of the 4,000. 
because he did the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. They're still sitting around going, well, we have no idea what to do. And Jesus is kind of looking at them like, do you recognize me? Were you with me just two chapters ago? He doesn't say chapters. <laughs> Moving on. A very bizarre story in the Old Testament. And one that still makes me go, all right, God, what are we playing at here? The people were murmuring and complaining. And you're going to find out something in the Bible if you read it. That there are a whole lot of sins listed. But really right at the top, if you're not doing a Proverbs 6 thing, right at the top of the things that makes God react in a really upset way are murmurers and complainers. Think about that. Don't be one. Not in a church, not in a leadership meeting, not in a restaurant, not anywhere you go. You're not the murmurer and the complainer. You weren't sent here to find fault. That is not one of the spiritual gifts that's listed anywhere. Well, God was so upset with them, he sent snakes among them. We're told that they were fiery and poisonous. I don't even know, need to know that. Snake. That's it. That snake is a nope rope. I, I, I want nothing to do with that little bitey thing. I have been told that one is non-poisonous. It can't hurt you. Oh, I beg to differ. Anything that can give you a heart attack is dangerous. Well, he sent fiery snakes among them. And if they were bit, they died. And they cried out to Moses for relief. So God, uh, Moses goes to God. Listen to this. God says, take gold, take brass, take whatever, and melt it down and make a likeness of a serpent. What did we just say about the commandments? And yet God's telling him to do something which he's not allowed to do. But he does it. He says, if you put it up on a pole, anybody betting, if they look at that on the pole, they will live. Do you see a little parallel with Jesus there? Jesus is raised on a cross, and all who come to him are saved. Often wonder if anybody ever stops somebody running to see the serpent by going, you know, God can save you in many ways. I don't understand why. You know, listen, if God opens up a door, jump through. If he says baptism, be baptized. If he says worship, worship. If he says give, give. I mean, he's opened up some doors saying, I like these things. With we have five grandkids. I have no idea what they like. Well, I do. Money. Because they know if I buy them something, there needs to be a receipt. Because I don't know what their life is like at all. And they need, and so that's fine. I like it when my wife tells me, you know, her birthday's coming up. You know, just a few shopping days. Anyway. If she tells me, this is what I'd like. That's a huge thing, isn't it? And God goes, this is what I'd like. Jump in there. Do it. Um, Moses turned water into blood. Jesus turned water into wine. Moses supplied water from a rock. Jesus is living water. Promised even those outsiders thrown to the side, the sex workers, the broken, the outcast, like the Samaritan woman, that he is living water. Neither, we, we can't go see Moses' grave. Completely unknown. By the way, on the internet, Anybody that says they found it, they're, they're wrong. No. Jesus didn't leave us his bones either. 
I remember years ago, and, and it's, most archaeologists are saying they believe it's legit, but there's been a lot of fuss over it. They were building something in Israel and came across an ossuary. An ossuary is a box where you put the bones of the dead. Um, you, normally, they would have, if you were wealthy enough, they would lay you on a, on a shelf in a cave. But then when another person died, they needed the room. So they'd put your bones in the family box. And carved on the side of the box said, from the family of Caiaphas high priest. And I'm thinking, we got your bones. And the man you condemned to death, we don't have, well, he didn't. Put him to Pilate to do it. We don't have his bones. His bones aren't on the planet. Like Jeremiah, who disappeared on the way to Egypt, and Elijah, who left earth without dying, both Jesus and Moses left no marker where we were to gather and mourn. That's pretty significant when you think of all the other religions where you're supposed to go to Buddha to feed him, or you're supposed to go to... He didn't do any of that. You can't help but notice that when we speak of Moses' life, we are generally pointing back to Acts 7. So at least read Acts 7, and then see for yourself the parallels to Jesus. So when you read the story of Moses, you're reading the story of Jesus before the story of Jesus. And we've just really gotten started. But the man who preached that sermon did not have a convert among the high court. They took him out to kill him in a brutal way called stoning, where you would knock people down with fist-sized rocks. And when they were down, you'd gather bigger rocks and slam on them, sometimes picking the rocks up and slamming on them again until they die. The man in charge of that execution and fully approving of it was a man named Saul of Tarsus who later would have his own meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and a world would never be the same. Jesus is here. He's always been here. He's appeared through our stories. He's appeared in person. Give us a few weeks. He's appeared in our stories to the point where if you know how to look, you will see Jesus. Um, Holly, could you make your way back up for us to do our song. I'm so glad. I've known Holly and John for so long. Uh, did their wedding for them. Uh, they were members of my church up in Michigan. They're still up there. We hope one day they'll repent and move to Tennessee. <laughs> but they are so gracious to come down for special times like this. It, it, something there's an elephant in the room that needs to be spoken about and I'll do that some of you know that my mother is dying uh, there is no hope for recovery none she is dying we're all very shocked she's still here and I spent this last week with 12 hour vigils and uh, some of you have jumped in there and, and the list of people saying they would go sit with her it's just it's wonderful it really is we've always said you know no except yesterday when I came to work with Holly for a while, and John, uh, for the church. Why would we do that? Why would I not stay away today? I've even had people say, you could just use an old sermon. They usually figure that out. I, um, if I don't do this, I'd be upsetting my mother. My mother's not a mad person, never has been. It's not like she's going to slap me or mama. No, but my mama taught me to have priorities. My first loyalty is to Jesus. My second is to Cammie. 
My third is to all of you. She would, uh, she'd quote Jesus about why seek ye the living among the dead. She's going to heaven. In fact, her brain may already be there. You know how bodies don't like to give up, right? And so I'm aware that sometimes I may come across as cold, but the racking sobs are there. They're just not done in front of you. We're Scots. We do things a bit different, all right? Even Irish, my mom's Irish, you think of it, they, the way they dance up here, nothing. Down here, wild abandon. <laughs> I've often said, I've often said to her, I think you guys just dance that way so you don't spill your beer. And, and she frowns at me. It reminds me she's never had any of that. But she also reminded me, she said, I'm 92. And God said, we get 70 years. I'm living on borrowed time and I'll borrow what I can. But here's what I'm leading up to. I'm as close to my mother right now as I would be sitting by her bed because she's in a place of sacred geography. And my sister, who would dearly love to be here, dearly love to be here, I've said, stay back, stay back. We don't know the timing. And she is as close to my mother in Houston as I am close to her sitting by the bed. Let's make the application. We have a Messiah who is here and who is with us. It doesn't really matter where you are. It matters where he is. And his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen, church?